Well, we've been going through the book of First Timothy, and today we begin Second Timothy in a series called Letters to the Bride. Of course, these are letters that have been written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, as Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit, realizing, of course, that as Timothy receives these letters, he will read them to the church there in which he is ministering and pastoring, which is the church at Ephesus. The setting is just a little bit different now in 2 Timothy over against 1 Timothy. Here now in 2 Timothy, indeed, Timothy is still at Ephesus, but Paul is in a different place. Paul is in a prison cell as he writes these words. Paul is in a place that is a lonely place, in a cold, damp prison cell, where he is there simply because of his faith. Knowing Jesus Christ, trusting Jesus Christ, sharing Jesus Christ. That's why he's in prison. And so as he is writing these words, he recognizes that indeed probably these are some of the last words that will be written to Timothy. These are the last words that will come from Paul to Timothy. He realizes that more than likely his days are numbered. He doesn't know how this is going to end, of course, but as being led by the Spirit, he he says later in this uh, book that he knows that his departure is at hand. So he realizes that his days are numbered and the end was near for him as he would be martyred for his faith. And so as we're thinking about these last words that Paul is writing to Timothy, I couldn't help to think about last words. And maybe you've been with someone who is about to pass away, who has had cancer or some kind of illness, and it, the hospice has been brought in, and they tell us it's only a matter of time, and then uh, those people will be able to share some last words with Those are precious times, things that we remember from parts of our family where we've been with folks uh, who passed away and others and members of the congregation What we've been. There have been other times when uh, we have no idea when our time is going to come, how the Lord's going to take us home as believers. Sometimes it's a we drop of a heart attack or a stroke or whatever. Uh, but again, there are times when we have that privilege to be able to say a few words to the family uh, that is left behind. And I was thinking about those last words. I, I couldn't help but to think, okay, uh, if that was us, what are some things we probably wouldn't be saying as these are the last words to the folks around us? I doubt very seriously that we would ask, hey, what's the stock market doing today? Right? I doubt very seriously we would ask about, uh, did the grass get cut? I doubt very seriously we'd ask, hey, what's going on in Facebook and in Twitter world today? I doubt very seriously that uh, we would say some of these things. Now, the closest thing that we might say is to tell our family, hey, be sure to inform the kitchen committee to serve chicken at my reception after the funeral. And then we might do that. But otherwise, these are just temporary things, right? When we get to that moment in our lives, probably we're thinking about the eternal. And so hopefully we're thinking about the confidence and the hope that we have in knowing what is yet to come, that We have a faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have no worries about what is to take place. Maybe you've seen that in the lives of people as well who are believers as they're closing that, that line of stepping over into eternity, who are entering into this phase in their life with great assurance, knowing that uh, they're going to see Jesus. And so some of the last words that they will share is not about the temporary things, but about the eternal things. I can't wait to see my Lord. I can't wait to see people who've loved the Lord who've gone before me. I don't know what this heaven's going to look like, but boy, I can't wait to take a look at it and see what it is, right? I remember as as I was uh, uh, talking to the earlier service today, I was remembering 
uh, years ago at Midway, where we just came from to come here, there was an older gentleman that I was talking to him about his faith. He was out at his garden, older man named B.C. Shields. And we were sitting uh, outside uh, underneath of a shade tree, an oak, 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 uh, oak tree, sitting in the shade of that oak tree, and he was sitting on a five-gallon bucket. And we were talking about his faith, and I talked to him, and I made sure he was, knew the Lord, and he assured me he did. And, and then we got to talking about heaven. And I'll never forget his response as I was asking, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And he said, well, Pastor, I tell you what, I don't really know what heaven's going to be like, but you know what? I love to go dove hunting. He said, I love to go dove hunting. I love to hear the dogs run. He said, and they'll take off, and the dogs run, and then I'll go after, and I'll walk around, and as we're hunting, um, I will walk around this corner, and I'll walk around this corner, and I'll find something. And it just, I always look forward to what's around the corner. You just don't know what's there, and it's always enjoyable to me. He said, Pastor, I look at heaven like that. I don't really know what's around the corner, but, boy, I'm looking forward to getting there and seeing what's there. Amen? And he died just like that, very precious soul. When we think about our last words, we don't know what there will be, but I have a feeling we'll be thinking about the eternal and not the temporary. As we come to this book in 2 Timothy, we have to remember that Paul is thinking about the eternal as always. He's writing this letter to Timothy in the setting in which he is in, in the prison cell, lonely but yet at peace. And so what we need to find in this book is to see that Paul was saying to Timothy here to be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful in the faith. And so as we look at this chapter, let's pray that the Holy Spirit would have his way in our hearts that we too would be faithful in the faith. Amen? In honor and reverence to the Word of God, would you please stand as I read this passage of Scripture to us today. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, Timothy, which you've heard from me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. 
Now, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we're thankful for the word of God. Lord, it has such a way by your Spirit to pierce us through into the very marrow of our bones and to our soul. And God, I pray that you would set our souls afire today to be aflame with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to proclaim the gospel wherever we may be. God, I pray that you would use this time together to challenge us to be faithful in the faith. And for those, Lord, who are here today who don't know you, who do not have that faith in Jesus Christ, may you use this time to call them unto yourself as you have called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to your own purpose and grace. So, Lord, I pray now that you'd have your way in every heart and every life, and we'll give you the glory. And Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You see in the bulletin today, there's the outline. And we're going to fill in some of those blanks for you. And we're going to see, first off, as we're thinking here, again about Paul, who is writing this letter to Timothy. He says, first of all, to Timothy, in the first part of this first chapter, To be faithful in the faith, serving. To be faithful in the faith, serving. Now, understand that as as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, that this is a very personal letter to Timothy. We see that because, as we've seen in the first book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, we see also here that there's a relationship between Paul and Timothy, almost like a father-son. It's a mentor-mentee type of relationship. He has a very great fondness for Timothy. He's like a son. As a matter of fact, in verse 2, he says to Timothy, a beloved son, one who he cares for, so much that they care for each other. In verse 4, it tells us that he is greatly desiring to see him, greatly desiring to see you, he says, being mindful of your tears, evidently as they uh, departed from each other the last time they were together, realizing they didn't know when they would see each other, if they would ever see each other again, that there were tears that were shed between them because of that love that they had for each other as a brothers as brothers in Christ, a father and son type of, uh, of, from Paul to Timothy as well. He says, Mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When we can, if we could come together, it would bring such great joy. So he was very personal toward Timothy. But also in the beginning of this letter, we find that Paul, is, as he is writing this letter, we are remembering that Paul is in a prison cell. And that he is lonely in this prison cell. That there's a cold, damp cell for him. And that, uh, so as we think about that, realizing that he knows that his days are numbered, that the departure, his departure is at hand, that Paul begins this letter reflecting even on his own faith, reflecting on the faith that he has in Jesus Christ and the assurance that, we, that he has because of what Jesus has done in his own life. So Paul, if you remember in letters in that day, letters were not signed at the end, but rather signed at the beginning. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life. 
So Paul, knowing that his days are numbered, begins by talking about this promise of life that is not because of any other reason except that it which is in Christ Jesus. Even though his days are numbered and he knows that his departure is at hand, he also realizes that because of his faith in Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done on the cross and at the empty tomb, he has the promise of life. That's a good promise to have, isn't it? The promise of life. And so he tells, he goes further and he talks about, he says to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul would certainly understand what he's talking about here when he talks about the grace from God. He understands the grace of God, the grace toward him. Because he was Saul the persecutor, Saul the murderous Saul against Christians, but God in his grace saved him on the Damascus road and called him out. So he talks about this grace and the mercy that God has bestowed upon him and the peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is in prison because of his faith in this Jesus. Paul is in prison because he dared to share his faith with others, because he lived out his faith, and yet he can hear right in this letter about the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the peace that comes from God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has that in his life. It's a faith that is real to him. In verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. He has a pure conscience, not because he's a good Jew, but because he is right before God. And he is right before God because now he has faith in Jesus Christ. There are no doubts that he has been saved and transformed and made new through Jesus Christ. So he is, he is able to serve with a pure conscience, the Lord God Almighty. And so as he's reminding himself even of his faith and reminding Timothy about his own faith, then he goes further and he begins to remind Timothy of his faith, of Timothy's faith. If you look in verse 5 and 6, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and, in, and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. You have this faith because of your heritage. Your, your mother and your grandmother both led you to Jesus Christ. Their faith is now your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, verse 6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There is this gift. You see, uh, as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, it seems that Timothy needed a gentle reminder. We even have this impression that Timothy probably needed some encouragement. And as Paul, knowing that his departure was at hand, he needed to remind Timothy of his faith heritage and what God had done in his life. And so he's reminded him about how you were saved and how you, you, you have the faith of your grandmother and your mother. And you have this faith that I'm sure is in you as well. I'm confident, I'm persuaded it's in you. Therefore, I'm reminding you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. So he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, be faithful in the faith in serving. He's saying to him, stir up the gift of God. In the ESV, which I think is a better translation here, he says to fan the flame of the gift which is in you. Fan the flame. This fanning the flame, it actually means to keep fanning the flame. Keep stirring up this gift. This is the flame of faithfulness. This fanning the flame or stirring up the gift is the opposite of quenching the spirit. 
So it's the opposite of quenching spirit. We want the spirit to have freedom to move in our hearts and in our lives to be used of God in this, and serve him in the ways in which he's called us and set us apart and made us to be as his people. So we're to be faith. He's saying to him to keep to be faithful in the faith, to live this life of godliness. And he tells him how in verse 7. He says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So through that power that comes through the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to serve. He empowers us to, to use the gifts that he's given to us. And so the question then is, are you faithful? Are you being faithful? As Paul is calling Tim to be faithful in the faith and to serve, the question for us then is, are you also being faithful in the faith and are you serving him in the faith? Well, I've done my time, preacher. My time is over. I've done my time. Oh, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. Your time's not over. Well, that's, I, I, I'm waiting for the right time. No, 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 that's not it either. Beloved, listen, if you're a child of God and you're still breathing, now is the time to serve the Lord. Amen? Now's the time. Now, as we think about it, we talk about that. Now, obviously, yes, I'm talking about how you need to be serving within the church as the church functions as well. You know, in teaching and, and leading and helping and being on committees and different things like that. Absolutely, you're supposed to serve in those capacities. But we need to understand something else, that God didn't call you to serve him just one day a week. Amen? As believers in Jesus Christ, he has given you a gift and he has given you talents. And beloved, you are to use those for the glory of God, not only on Sunday, but every day of the week. Every week of the month, every month of the year, till he calls you home. We're to be faithful in the faith and are serving all the time and to think through what that looks like. So I remind you as you may be thinking, well, I don't really have time for that. I don't have time to serve. Beloved, remember who you are. You once were lost, but now you're found. You once were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you have life in Jesus Christ. You once were in bondage to sin, but he has set the captive free. Friends, we are new people in Christ, and we are to serve him with all of our hearts. Because, not because we have to, but because we get to and we want to. Amen? Serving the Lord. Fan that flame. Stir up the gift with us in you. Praying and spending time with the Lord. Pursuing, running toward Jesus with all of your heart. And persevering, staying at it all the time. That's what Paul was encouraging Timothy to do here. To be faithful in the faith. To serve where God's called you, Timothy. Serve there and he's gifted you there. Serve with all your heart. And keep fanning the flame and stay at it, Timothy. Keep doing it. Be faithful in the faith in serving. But also, secondly, we see this. Be faithful in the faith in suffering. In suffering. Let's look at verse 8. What does Paul say here? He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me, Timothy, in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Share, share with me, Timothy, in the sufferings for the gospel. Oh, you know, when we read that in the scriptures and we read how Paul was stoned, left, you know, and left for dead, how he was shipwrecked, how he was beaten, and we see how the early church and how all they went through the different things, and we see stuff like that in the scriptures, share with me in the suffering for the gospel. And we think to ourselves, you know, how nice... 
How, how nice and convenient for us that they went through that kind of suffering for our faith that we could still hear about Jesus today. But beloved, here's the truth. We do not have a clue what it is to suffer for the gospel. We don't have a clue what that is. In this country, we don't have a clue what our forefathers and our, the history of our faith, what that has looked like. Or we have read about it and we just sort of gloss over it and say, well, that's great and I'm glad we are where we are today. We think about, but listen, we think about this weight of the heritage of our faith. We think about the early church and how they endured great persecution and they were murdered for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ and making him known. They were murdered for their faith, martyred for their faith. We think about the martyrs throughout history because they simply believed in Jesus and wanted to make him known. Martyrs who were giving their lives for Christ. There are people who knew Jesus and were burned at the stake simply because they claimed Jesus as their Savior. There are people who were torn apart because they claimed the name of Jesus. There are people who were skinned alive because they simply knew the name of Jesus and followed this Jesus and would not recant that. There are people who were tied to an anchor and thrown into the sea because they loved Jesus and wanted to follow him and make him known to the nations. There were people who were beheaded because of their love for Jesus. There are people who were imprisoned and tortured because of their faith in Christ. And even today, friends, there are atrocities all over the world today, at this very moment, that are pointed and activated upon Christians right now. Some are ostracized from their families or from villages or from a job simply because they have said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for me on the cross, who rose again bodily from the grave, that God loves me and has called me to himself, and I am his and he is mine. And because of that, they have, they're laying down their lives right where they are. Some have just disappeared mysteriously, taken away and killed. Friends, this is our history. This is our heritage that Christians suffer for the gospel. Well, pastor, this is America. That was then and this is now. Come on now. Really? Suffering? Well, listen, Jesus told us that this is what it is to follow him. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We've said that verse so many times. It's lost its punch. Because taking up your cross, friends, is surrender. It's sacrifice. It's suffering for the gospel. Taking up your cross daily. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. Watch this. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's what Jesus said. 
And in Matthew 24, 9, he says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. You see, friends, this suffering for the gospel, that is a weighty heritage that we have. And yet we live in a culture today and in a time in America where I believe that we are cowards as Christians. Mm. I don't know about that, Pastor. Well, let's think about it. This cowardly Christian, this cowardly Christianity that we carry around with us, we're afraid to share our faith. We're afraid to invite our lost neighbors over to our house for a meal. We're afraid to invite our lost friends to a community group. We're afraid to tell someone our story of what Jesus has done for us. We're afraid to point people to Jesus because I might be called intolerant. We're afraid because I might be rejected. I'm afraid because, you know, it just might make life awkward in our community. Just make it awkward. I just don't know if I can do that. We're afraid because somebody might unfriend me on Facebook. Come on now, right? You know, it's almost as if we're ashamed of our faith. It's almost as if we're ashamed of our Savior. It's almost as if we're ashamed to tell about him who died for us. But notice the admonition that Paul gives to Timothy here in verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. Don't be ashamed, Timothy, of what Jesus has done in your life and what Jesus has done for the world, that he is calling people to himself, or me, his prisoner, who is preaching the gospel. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. And then over in verse 12, Paul says, I am not ashamed. For I'm not ashamed. And then he says in verse uh, 16 about Onesiphorus, he says that Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul's chain, which came because of Paul's faith in Jesus Christ. Suffering. Whoa, preacher man. This suffering. I'm not so sure I can go through suffering. I'm not sure that I can handle to suffer. Paul would say to you what he says to Timothy, and that is this, that is to be faithful in the faith, even in suffering. And then he outlines here, I think very beautifully, three things that we can see about how we can be faithful even in suffering. And the first one is that we have this confidence. We can be faithful and we're encouraged and called out and that we may be be faithful in the faith, even in suffering, because we have this confidence. And where is that found? That's found in verse 7 again, back one verse. For, we, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. God is not the one who has given us a spirit of being a coward. Amen? God has not given us a spirit of timidity. That's what that word means. But rather, God has given us a spirit of power. Power. 
As a believer, as a child of God, God, one who has been born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, friends, there is the power of God within us. And this power of God is not just some off-the-cuff kind of power. This is resurrection power. The same word, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that gave you life and dwells within you and enables you to live for Jesus and tell people about Jesus. It's resurrection power. That's the power within you. God's not given us. We have this confidence. We're enabled by the spirit who lives within us. That he's not given us the spirit of fear, but rather of power and of love. We have the right motivation that we love Jesus and we love other people. And also of a sound mind, meaning self-discipline. That when that time comes, when you have to walk through a time of suffering, the Lord will give you what you need. Friends, I'm a firm believer. We, we think, I don't know how I could ever suffer. I don't know how I could ever do this, but friends, if we stay true to Jesus, I believe with all my heart that he will enable us with everything that we need to do and say what we need to do and say in those moments. Amen? We have this confidence, but also, secondly, part of that is we have this calling. We have this calling. In verse 9, this calling is to follow Jesus. He says, look, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and he has called us with a holy calling. This calling is not according to our works. We've done nothing to deserve our salvation. But according to his own purpose and his grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We have this calling to follow him, living this holy life, following Jesus. That is it, that we are doing whatever that looks like in whatever context, doing whatever it takes to meet people where they are and to point them to Jesus Christ. We have this calling. Paul goes further. If you skip over to verse 11, he talks about the the Savior and what Jesus has done. And then he says in verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. God's called me for salvation, but he's also called me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And I suffer for these things. That's the reason I suffer. Okay, well, that lets me off the hook, Pastor, because I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. Hmm. Let me just think about that for a minute. Okay? Hmm. Let's think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. All right? In Romans chapter 10, it tells us there, in verses 14 and 15, Paul writing to the church at Rome, he said, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, the they here, the they are those who don't know Christ, the lost. Y'all with me? Amen? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You have beautiful feet if you're a preacher of the gospel. You know, I've been telling Angie that for a long time. (laughs) I believe in the inerrancy of the scripture. God's word is true. And he says that I have beautiful feet. 
she does not agree with me having beautiful feet. She, doesn't, she does agree with the Scripture being there, but she has a struggle right there for some reason. But that's not what it's talking about. I'll have to concede this one, all right? That's really not what it's talking about. Because what he's talking about is those who are preachers of good news have beautiful feet. It doesn't matter if your feet are squished together or elongated. If you got long toes or short toes, if you got bunions or varicose veins, it doesn't matter what they look like. If you are a preacher of the gospel, you have beautiful feet. There's nothing greater than having beautiful feet that preach the gospel. Paul would say to Timothy later in this book, Timothy, preach the word. And Jesus, if you remember, back in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, as he was speaking to his disciples, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So that says, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, guess what? You have been sent to preach the word. As you're sent to preach the gospel... You have beautiful feet. This idea of having beautiful feet, you know, I was thinking about that this morning as I was looking, looking over the message and thinking about, have you ever been in the doctor's office? And as you're in the doctor's office, you just feel yuck. You know, you just feel terrible. You're laid back on that table with that rustly paper on it, you know. And you just want the doctor to hurry up and get in there and give you a shot or something just to make you feel better, give you some medicine to just make you feel better. And you're laying there and the door is closed, and you hear feet coming down the hallway. And then they go past the door. <laughs> ah. And then you hear feet coming in the other direction, coming down the hallway, and they go past the door again. And you're thinking, oh, Lord, please. And so then you hear the feet come, and it stops at the door. They pull the, the chart out, right? Thank you, Lord, to come in, and then they meet with you, and they give you the medicine to make you feel better. And you're thinking about that doctor. Maybe you're not thinking, but this is what we know, is that those are beautiful feet that we have heard to finally come in here to give us what we need to make us well. Amen? Friends, there are people all over the world who are sin sick with this disease called sin. And they need somebody to bring them the good news that Jesus is the prescription that they need. Amen? And we are preachers of the good news. Good news that brings healing to the sick. Good news that brings food to the hungry. Good news that brings water to the thirsty. Good news that brings freedom to the captive. Good news that brings cleansing to the sinner. Good news that brings hope to the hopeless and and peace to the troubled and life to the dead. We have this good news. And so we have been called to be a preacher. And for this reason, I also suffer these things because I have good news. Amen? Suffering comes for the believer. It is good news. He says also as an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, this is what Paul had, that God had called Paul to do. And so you're called to do whatever it is God's called you to do as well. for the glory of God. And so you suffer for these things because of your salvation that's in Christ. You've been called to be a preacher and then you're called to, to be whatever it is he's called you to do, to serve him. 
suffering. We have this confidence and we have this calling, but also we have this courage. We have this courage. Look at verse, part of verse 10. He's talking here about what Jesus has done. He says, in the middle of verse 10, he talks about our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, friends, we're able to be faithful in the faith even in our suffering because we not only have confidence and we have this calling, but we also have this courage. The courage comes because it tells us here that because of Jesus Christ, he has abolished death. And he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So this abolished death means rendered inoperative. In other words, death is no longer a threat to us. Because we have life in Jesus Christ that extends beyond now and into all of eternity. There is nothing for us to fear as believers because Jesus has abolished death. And now we have immortality to live with Jesus forever. Paul says to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So we ha- we're able to be fa- saying to Timothy, look, be faithful in the faith even in the midst of suffering because you have this confidence that he will enable you and give you what you need. But you have this call and you're sent out. He saved you and he sent you out, but also you have this courage. Look, if they kill us, that just brings us close to Jesus right away. Amen. Amen. We suffer for the gospel without fear. We have no fear of what man can do to us. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? In verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? sword? And I'll add this, who shall separate us from being called intolerant or separate us from the love of Christ, from being unfriended on Facebook or losing our lives for the sake of the gospel? Amen. But rather, and yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. And this is how Paul says he was to be faithful in the faith, in suffering, and tells that to Timothy. And that word is for us that we have this confidence, we have this calling, and we have this courage. Was that the sin conference this week in Orlando, heard a preacher by the name, a pastor by the name of Trip Lee, and he was talking about this a little bit, and so I reworked a little bit to share with you. He said, it is something to this effect. It's foolish. It's foolish to leave the comfort of your secure and safe job to take a job in a country of unreached peoples where you will likely have difficulty. It's foolish. It's illogical to take your new wife and move clear across the nation to a place that you've never been where there is a great lostness in order to try to reach a certain community for Christ. It's crazy. It's crazy to take your family into a neighborhood where there are known gangs and dealers and thugs. And it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to commit, listen, two years after college to go to Eastern Europe where the gospel is illegal. Unless, unless there are people who are perishing who need to hear the gospel. 
then, friends, it's no longer foolish, and it's no longer crazy, and it's no longer illogical, and it's no longer ridiculous. It is simply being faithful and obedient as a believer. Paul said, For this reason I also suffer. These things, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. In other words, my life is in his hands. My life's in his hands. Be faithful, Timothy, in the faith. Be faithful, church, in the faith, in serving and in suffering. And then thirdly, be faithful in the faith in seeing. He wants Timothy to see two things. See the example of Paul himself, but also see the example of, of Onesiphorus. When he thinks that, when we look at the Paul, Paul here gives him, giving us the example of himself to see Paul, we see Paul's surrender and trust. His surrender completely to the Lord and his trust. In verse 12, we see that there. He says, for this reason, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, even though I'm suffering, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. For I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You see, friends, listen, as Paul puts these, this pen to parchment, these are not just lofty words for him. Paul knows that these words are true. You see, Paul had seen joy and he had seen pain. He had dealt with suffering and he had enjoyed rejoicing. He had had fellowship and he had loneliness. He had valleys and he had mountains. And yet now he is saying that he is persuaded that the Lord is able to keep his promises because Paul believes in this Jesus who suffered and died for him on Calvary's cross, who called him out, and he knows that Paul, that Jesus will bring Paul to heaven, but until that day he will use him for the glory of God. So Timothy says, see the, so Paul says, Timothy, see the example of my surrender and trust, but also be faithful in the faith as you see the example of Paul sticking to the truth. In verse 13 and 14, he says, hold fast the pattern of sound words or, or stick to, cling to the example of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which is committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Hold fast, cling to the pattern, the example of sound words which is good, true doctrine. Sound, the word sound there is the same word that's used in the Gospels describing the healing of the sick by Jesus. And that's what true doctrine does, doesn't it? Is that it brings healing to the soul. False doctrine brings about death, but true doctrine brings about healing. So he says, hold fast this pattern of these sound words, the truth, with faith and love, faith in Jesus, and a love for for Jesus and a love for others, having that right motivation as you're giving forth the true doctrine, holding fast these sound words. Then also he says, see the example of Paul, but then see also the example of Onesiphorus. You're going to be able to pronounce that before the day is done, all right? Onesiphorus. We see here the example of Onesiphorus in that he showed a risky, determined encouragement. He was faithful to Paul being faithful to the cause of Christ. So let's look here what Paul says in verse 15 to the end of the chapter. He says, This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. 
For he often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Paul is saying, look, everyone else around me has abandoned me. And he calls out these two guys, Phagellus and Hermogenes. Even they have left me. But not Onesiphorus. Rather, Onesiphorus, well, he was not ashamed of me. He is not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of what I stand for. He's not ashamed that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And so he sought me out diligently. And in so doing, he has refreshed me and he has encouraged me. He's telling Timothy, be faithful in the faith seeing this example of Paul in the faith for Jesus Christ, but also be faithful in faith, seeing this example of encouraging each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Encouraging each other, no matter what, that, no matter ha- what happens, even if you have to deal with suffering, be, it's worth a risk. Be diligent and encourage. He refreshed me. The word for refreshed, if you think about this past week or so when it got up to about 100 degrees, And you looked at your yard and you thought, oh, I just don't want to do this. But I have got to mow my grass. And so you go out there and you begin to push that mower or ride it or whatever you do. And you on that mower and it is the sweat is just pouring off. And then you turn the mower off and you see the tree over there. You shade of that tree. Or maybe you had to pull weeds out of the mulch bed and you were pulling weeds and you just, you stand up, your back's killing, you go over to the, the shade of the tree and you stand there and all of a sudden you feel something. and the, the humidity just sort of disappears and a breeze blows through and your wife brings you a glass of lemonade. What's that? That's refreshing. Right? That's the word. That's the word that Onesiphorus is using. I mean, Paul is using about Onesiphorus. That he refreshed him. Friends, let me tell you something. Paul here talks about all those in Asia have turned away from me. Even these two guys. Evidently, these two guys were with him at one point and they've turned their backs on him too. It is a lonely place to be. And sometimes following Jesus can be a lonely place to be. Whether that's in your school, or whether that's at work, or whether that's in your neighborhood. And we need to hear what the Bible is saying to us and be those people who come alongside each other and encourage each other in the faith whether that's in a community group, whether that's one-on-one, whether that's in a Sunday school class or wherever that may be, that we encourage each other. Let me tell you something. There's no greater source of encouragement for a fellow believer when you're going through a tough, lonely time than for a fellow believer to come alongside you and to love on you. Amen? We've been there in our ministry years ago, going through a tough time in our church, Uh, Just a speed bump in the road, if you will. And I got up one morning and went to the hospital to visit an older couple. The lady was having a heart catheterization. Sweet, precious people. I went to encourage them. And I walked in that room and I talked with them and I had prayer with them. But they said this to me. They said, Pastor, we love you. 
And I mean to tell you right now that I went in to encourage them, but I walked away a different man. I came away encouraged by them. There's another time during that same period in the ministry when we went over to some friend's house. And there's a friend of ours, his name's Chuck. He's about six foot two. And he knew that we were lonely and that we were hurting. And we simply walked, they invited us over for dinner. And we walked into the house and he came, all he did was he came over and he wrapped his arms around me. Let me tell you what, I will never forget that as long as I live. Because it was an encouragement in a time of loneliness. And brothers and sisters, whether you believe it or not, we need each other. As brothers and sisters in Christ, in this world in which we are living, and we are to encourage each other to be faithful in the faith, to continue to serve, suffer even if we're called upon to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ, being faithful in that, and see the example of Paul, who was surrendered and trusted Jesus, sticking to the truth, and see the example of Onesiphorus to encourage each other. That's what God's called us to do. Two things to do, all right? Two things, real quick. Number one, fan the flame. Fan the flame. We talked about that back in verse five or six, verse six. Fan the flame within you. Remember that? Stirring up the gift of the Spirit. God's given you a gift. The Holy Spirit lives within you, but also you have a gift. And he's saying, fan this flame. Keep fanning the flame of the Spirit within you by being used of God, seeking to live this life of holiness every single day. So here's, here's what that looks like. You want your life to look like Jesus. You want to love him more. You want to be faithful to him in all things that you do. Being faithful to him. And so you want to fan this flame. You've seen embers on a fire that it gets kind of low. And you know that if you just fan, blow on that a little bit, the fire picks up, right? So think about it this way, that when you are praying, you are fanning the flames of the faith. When you open the word of God and you meditate on the word, you are fanning the flames the flames. When you are walking with Jesus, listening to his voice, being obedient to what he wants you to do, you are fanning the flames. When you are worshiping, when you gather together and you worship with God's people and we sing and sing about his glory and sing about the victory that's ours and sing about his almighty power, friends, we are fanning the flames. When we fellowship together in Sunday school classes and community groups or one-on-one keeping each other accountable, friends, we are fanning the flames. When we tell people about Jesus, we are fanning the flames. When we are giving sacrificially and obedient, trusting him by faith as we give, we are fanning the flames. When we learn more about our gift and we are serving the Lord, we are fanning the flames of our faith. Beloved, fan the flames. Pray, Lord, set my soul afire and then keep fanning the flames. Amen? Secondly, live the legacy of faith. Boy, that's a real broad one, isn't it? It's really broad and general. Live the legacy of faith. But when you think about it, think about these three guys that Paul talks about here. Hermogenes and Phagellus. And Onesiphorus. Do you know that in all of Scripture, 
This is the only place we know anything about these three guys, except for Onesiphorus. He's also in chapter 4 at the conclusion. But these other two guys, that's all they know. All we know about these two guys is that they have departed from Paul. They've turned on him. They've turned on the faith. But what we know about Onesiphorus is that he was willing to take a risk, and he was diligent to be an encourager of a brother in the faith. You see, friends, listen. You may or may not have time to tell your beloved husband, wife, children, grandchildren some last words. But if you want to know the truth about it, most people are not going to remember your last words. But they will remember the life that you lived. Amen? They will remember the life in which you lived. And so this living the legacy of faith is a day by day by day by day living it out for Jesus. Amen? Living it out for him. If you don't know this Jesus, you can know him today because he's calling you to himself. He went to the cross of Calvary to pay for your sin there on the cross. He rose again bodily from the grave. It's because of what he has done that we're here today. Trusting him, living for him, having hope in him. That he enables us today to spread that good news, but also to be with him one day. If you don't have that assurance, friends, before you leave today, here in just a few moments, even at the invitation, you come. Just turn from the sin, repenting, saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, and trust Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for you, who rose again bodily from the grave. He alone offers life and hope. He alone. And believers, as you have trusted Christ, may this be a day where you begin to fan the flame and to live the legacy of faith every single day. Be faithful in the faith serving. Be faithful in the faith even in suffering. And seeing these examples set forth today. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives. Lord, we want to be, Lord, we just want to be everything you desire for us to be. Not because we have to, but Lord, how we want to and we get to. To be your children, to live the life daily, to point people to Jesus, to see the joy that comes in another person's heart who has been in bondage to sin, to be set free from that. To see, Father, people who were struggling and have found peace through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for what you have done in our lives as your children. Help us to be the heralds of the gospel. Help us to be the proclaimers. Help us to be the preachers that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that you'd be with each one of us to be faithful in the faith as we serve you here within these church walls. But even more so as we be the church, as we are the church, when we leave the church building and we live our lives daily out in the world, help us to be faithful in the faith for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And you come, Brother Joe's here, I'll be here, we've got to pray with you, you're going to pray silent. You come as God's dealt with your heart as we sing at the cross.